Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriel Park at Camden Yards, it is the Mass in All Access Ooh. podcast. Got a real good voice crack on Ooh. that, Brendan. Yeah. We're off to a great start here on Facebook and on YouTube Live as I have misspelled imminent in the thumbnail if you are watching Hopefully we will have that Ma- corrected. Majorly misspelled. Majorly. I, I don't know if anybody has misspelled the word imminent to that degree. The, Maybe ever. The spelling ended in an N. It ended in an M-T-N. That's just not a combination you often see. I would say very rarely, perhaps never in the English English language, have M-T-N ever been combined there. Unless you're abbreviating mountain. mountain? Yeah. Felix Bautista in parentheses, M-T-N. MTN. Yeah. What's your most egregious uh, grammar or spelling uh, error in your mind? Ooh, like a pet peeve one? Yeah. I definitely have. Not not one that you make, but one that you see other people make. So growing up, my mom like hammered this one home with me and it was less and fewer. It's because she's a teacher, right? Yes. There you go. My mom is a teacher. Hi, mom. Uh, Less and fewer. She's not watching. No, she's not. Less and fewer was the big one. And people thinking that they can use those interchangeably and she always made sure that i knew what the difference was between using less and fewer yeah people say the oriole scored less than two runs but it's fewer Fewer. than than two runs because it's numerical value mine is when people misuse who and whom which is a common one i always just use whomst that's that's just not a word whomst whomst use that in a sentence for whomst would that be (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for for you for me for, for i whomst. for whomst yeah because with whomst y- you can either be wrong on who or whom but with whomst you're just automatically making it a bit you're so you're you right. don't have to risk being wrong yes because it's just a bit yeah you, you when you know that you are incorrect or you don't know the answer and so you make a joke out of it exactly i get that yeah yeah all right. Well, uh, we got a lot to talk about here, Brendan. Sure. On the Mass and All Access podcast. For whom? St. Stiva. Right. And for which? And where? <laughs> where is this con- with sentence going? <laughs> I don't is know. The question. Yeah. That's a, sometimes and I start a sentence. For is it? For whom? Yeah. That. For whom is it? I guess you could say. Sure. All right. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk a lot about... Uh, some guys on the Orioles on this podcast, Brendan. Yeah. <laughs> Off to a great specific. start. Um, we are going to talk about Brett Phillips. We're going to talk about Jorge Mateo. We're going to talk about Gunnar Henderson. But first, Brendan, let's talk about Cedric Mullins. Yeah. Big announcement during the Little League Classic yesterday, which was an exciting game if anybody was watching on ESPN. Great to see the Orioles get some national exposure. Been a while since the Orioles had been on national TV. So that was all very fun. And in the middle of that game, Cedric Mullins made a great announcement. Yeah, it was funny because I I believe it was the fourth or fifth inning. They tried to mic up both Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes. And Cedric Mullins' earpiece wasn't working, so he couldn't hear any of the questions from the (laughs) broadcasters. And it was pretty much only Austin Hayes talking. Which was really ironic because Cedric Mullins actually had the announcement that he had gotten the invitation to join Team USA in the World Baseball Classic and that he was accepting that invitation. So 
he didn't even get a chance to announce it while he was in the field, which was the plan. So they had to bring him back in on a headset in the dugout in like the seventh or eighth inning so that he could actually make the announcement that he would be joining Team USA for the World Baseball Classic. But yeah, it's fun. It's cool. Cedric Mullins is a great player, good representation for the game. Obviously, for Orioles fans, they have some fun memories of the World Baseball Classic, namely Adam Jones robbing Manny Manny Machado's potential home run. So maybe Cedric Mullins will provide some of the same magic for Team USA. I mean, we could see a a repeat performance knowing the kind of dazzling plays that he makes in center field. It's good to know when you see, you know, the the national media outlets struggle with their technology like that on a big stage that we are not alone when we yeah. make massive media mistakes or misspell imminent right. in a thumbnail. That yeah. Everybody does it, Brendan. Um, all right, let's talk about another outfielder who is still in the organization as of right now, and that's Brett Phillips, who was designated for assignment when the Orioles brought up Kyle Stowers or selected the contract of Kyle Stowers. They traded for him about an hour before the trade deadline on August 2nd, has eight games where he's really does not provide a whole lot offensively, eight kind of nondescript games for the Orioles, and then ends up designated for assignment. Now, he could, he has cleared waivers, and he could accept the assignment, or he could choose to be a free agent and leave the organization. But I kind of like this trade now. The fact, if the Orioles are able to hold on to Brett Phillips, this kind of changes my perspective and my opinion of the trade for him. Well, like, I think Brett Phillips kind of got some unnecessary hate because of the circumstances that he was in. When the Orioles made the trade, it just didn't make a ton of sense, as you and I have said on this podcast, I think, multiple times now, especially when Kyle Stowers was still in AAA. You had Stowers, who many people believed was not only deserving of a promotion, but could also pretty much give you the same value that Brett Phillips was giving you, even though Phillips is probably a much better defender. Stowers, many people thought, would be better at the plate. And then he was also a little bit redundant with Ryan McKenna. So there were just so many question marks around what Brett Phillips' role would be on this major league team. And as good of a guy as he was, and as much as he may have benefited the locker room by just being a good veteran presence and a great personality there, you can't really justify keeping a Brett Phillips on the major league roster when you're pushing for a playoff spot and he's not really giving you anything offensively. And defensively, you could just play Ryan McKenna in a corner outfield and get a pretty similar value. But now that he's not blocking Kyle Stowers or blocking Ryan McKenna from getting playing time in a corner outfield and isn't really in a position where Orioles fans can just kind of say, okay, get out of the way for some of the other guys, it's nice that he's hopefully still going to be in the organization. And if they had made this trade for him and then tried to send him back down they couldn't have really done that while also having him on the 40-man roster so essentially they kind of had to have him on the big league roster for at least a small amount of time you do also wonder if because the Rays had designated Phillips for assignment if the Orioles were trying to get ahead of some other teams by trading cash for him and so this was a move that was really made with depth in mind the long-term future in mind because having a guy like that like you said in the organization is still valuable I mean that's still a guy who can come up and play quality defense if one of your main players goes down over the next six weeks now he can decide to become a free agent in the offseason if he's still not on the Orioles 40-man roster 
So you're really only getting him for six weeks if you decide not to re-add him to the 40-man roster, but I think it's a worthwhile player to have for the stretch run. If the Orioles stay in this wild card hunt, you then have an insurance policy who, yes, he's hitting 150 or thereabouts for the season, but in a pinch, I'd like to see Brett Phillips come up and be a good defensive replacement. He's better than some of the options that they have internally if Austin Hayes... Anthony Santander, Cedric Mullins, God forbid, goes down with injury, which could happen. So it's a good insurance policy to have. Yeah, he gives you the floor of a quality defensive outfielder. Yeah. Which isn't incredibly valuable, but like you said, if somebody goes down with injury, it's still valuable to have somebody like that. And he's also valuable at AAA Norfolk. And if he accepts that assignment to the Tides, he would join DJ Stewart as, you know, kind of the two veterans there who know what it's like to be in a big league clubhouse and kind of know what it takes to be in the major leagues. And that's, you know, a valuable mentorship to some of the younger guys at AAA who will hopefully be getting a call to the majors relatively soon. Let's talk about some guys who could be getting a call to the majors very soon. Very well done on that transition. Gunnar Henderson is the name at the forefront of most Orioles fans' minds for a lot of reasons. He's hitting the cover off the ball. He is moving all around the diamond, and he is poised to make an impact on this team for the final five weeks of the season. And from everything that Mike Elias has indicated, it seems like he is very much in the conversation to get a call-up, as he indicated in his interview with you and Bowie. Yeah, when I talked to him and Bowie, it was funny just how... Look, Michael Elias does this. He's not going to give a ton of things away, but he just or anything. He almost indicated that he was maybe ready to possibly be in a conversation about yeah. maybe join. He just used so many maybe probably. I think the exact quote was that he has certainly worked himself into being in the conversations yes. to maybe join the team going forward, <laughs> yeah. which tells us nothing, nothing yeah. other than the fact that. Gunnar Henderson is a very good AAA player who we have agreed will at least give you a chance of improving this team down the stretch. We don't know what Gunnar Henderson would do if he were promoted. It's entirely possible that he could struggle just as Adley Rutschman did to start his big league career, but it's also entirely possible that he could give this team a jolt through the first, uh, excuse me, through the final few weeks of the year here. It's funny, I talked about this on a podcast a few weeks ago with Tim Leonard, and Tim said, well, we don't want to be redundant by, you know, still talking about Kyle Stowers and Gunnar Henderson every podcast, and I jokingly said, well, we kind of have to because they're still not here. Yeah. And Kyle Stowers is here, but we have to keep talking about Gunnar Henderson because he's still not here. Well, you predicted, I think a couple of weeks ago, that they would wait until next season, but mm-hmm. the longer we get into August, and the more he continues to produce at the plate, he had that massive game on Saturday where he went three for six, had the walk-off base hit, had a homer, had a double. He's now hitting 289 with an OPS over 900. It becomes more and more apparent that he deserves a call-up at some point over the next few weeks. And not only that, but I think when I was making that prediction Mm -hmm. about Gunnar Henderson... This was before the series against the Rays, the Blue Jays, and the Red Sox. Yeah. And yes, the Orioles dropped two of three against the Tampa Bay Rays, but they've won, what, four of their last six 
in three game sets against both the Blue Jays and the Red Sox. And I thought this stretch would kind of determine whether you look at the Baltimore Orioles and say, okay, they're fading as maybe some expected them to because the talent just isn't quite at the level of some of these other AL East opponents, or they win this some of these stretches of games here and prove that they belong in, at the very least, kind of the middle of the pack of the AL East, and they have stayed within striking distance for the final AL wildcard spot. So as long as Gunnar Henderson keeps producing and the Orioles just keep hanging around, it's hard to justify not calling him up. Well, and I, I was not to drag you about making that prediction no, because I, I'll bet that Mike Elias, maybe a month ago, was not thinking that he was going to be calling up Gunnar Henderson at some point this season. But as the month has progressed, after the trade deadline especially, after you trade away Jorge Lopez, after you trade away Trey Mancini, two big pieces on this team, and the fact that you're still competitive, I think that speaks volumes of this team's ability to hang in there over the last five weeks of the season. They're not fading. And it was almost, I don't want to say frustrating, but watching... The Orioles get some national coverage last night and watching, you know, the pregame show on ESPN leading up to the game. The narrative with how they were talking about the Orioles was just, oh, yeah, the Orioles have kind of realized that they can play spoiler for some of the other teams hoping to make the playoffs. No, the Orioles are hoping to make the playoffs. And they were almost acting like the Orioles could play spoiler for the Boston Red Sox, yeah. who were further out of the <laughs> AL wildcard race than the Orioles. And it was like, no, the Orioles aren't just going to be spoilers here. Yeah. Like they could potentially make a run at the playoffs. Yeah. If they have you know a hot stretch over two weeks here, they're right back into the thick of things, and they're kind of already in the thick of things. So I just thought that was kind of a, that's a, a separate tangent right. there, but I just thought that was kind of a weird narrative from ESPN that, oh, yeah, this is a fun team that can maybe play spoiler down the stretch. Like th- This is a competitive team. Well, I'm still waiting for some media outlets to update their playoff odds for yeah. the Orioles because some of them are still ridiculously low. Some of them are still below 10% for a team that is, like you said, within striking distance, is not the worst team in their division, is Far several games, it. what, five games now, again, above 500, and yet they are treated by some media outlets as still a fun young story where they're getting to play spoiler for some of these better teams in the American League, but just, you know, don't count the Orioles, don't count on the Orioles to make any noise in September. I think about a month ago, you could look at the Orioles and say, ah, this is a fun story, but it's not actually going to happen. Right. They have gone from the fun story that's not actually going to happen to, oh, this might happen. Yeah. Like, that's This team might make the playoffs. The only thing that I would say is I, I caution against is if the Orioles don't make the playoffs, and right now if the season were to end, they would not make the playoffs. Right. That there's not too much disappointment from Orioles fans because no, I there could, should be a ton of optimism. I, I can see how it could be frustrating though. You get that close, you go over 162 game stretch, and you get that close to the playoffs. And if you miss out, you could be frustrated as a fan, and it's, it's right to be that because you get that close. But this season is a success, no matter what happens. An overwhelming success. Yes, over the last five weeks of the season, no matter what happens, even if they lose 20 of the next. 30 games, it's still a success because they got here and they're in the conversation in the wild card race three weeks into August. Absolutely. So let's talk about Gunnar Henderson and whether he could actually impact this team, where he could impact this team defensively. I think everybody's ears perked up 
a few days ago when Gunnar Henderson was put in Norfolk's lineup at first base. Rockabaco reporting that he was going to get some work there. And then over the last couple days, he's gotten some work at second base. Two positions that he had not played at all this season. Now, second base seems like more of a natural fit because he's a shortstop. He's a third baseman. First base was a little bit more shocking just because he had not played that position really anywhere or anytime in his minor league career. And we've got some thoughts as to why that may be. <sighs> my, my thoughts are very conflicted on Gunnar Henderson trying out some different positions here. I understand that in the short term and maybe in the long term, we'll talk about Jorge Mateo in a little bit and what his potential future with the Orioles could be and whether maybe he can lock down shortstop here for the next few seasons. I understand that Gunnar Henderson is not the defensive shortstop that Jorge Mateo is. But according to scouts and everything that we have seen from Gunnar Henderson at AAA Norfolk, he is either going to be a good defensive shortstop or an excellent defensive third baseman. And I understand the argument of you want your players to be as versatile as possible. And getting Gunnar Henderson some reps at first base and second base certainly makes sense for the team as it is currently constructed with the Orioles maybe needing a backup first baseman if you are selecting the contract of Gunnar Henderson and maybe optioning Tyler Nevin back down to AAA Norfolk. Tyler Nevin has been struggling at the big leagues, and maybe if the solution to get Gunnar Henderson on this team is to option Nevin, you could use Gunnar Henderson as a backup first baseman, a role that is now vacant with the absence of Tyler Nevin. And of course, second base has been a hot topic of discussion for Orioles fans with Rugnet Odor struggling a little bit at the plate and what that balance should be between Taron Vavra and Rugnet Odor. Maybe you can throw Gunnar Henderson into that mix as well. I understand it if it's only a few games here at AAA Norfolk at first base and second base, but it feels like a similar discussion that we had about DL Hall, where why are you messing with one of your best prospects in the system. And I know that this isn't going to do long-term damage to Gunnar Henderson's development. I just don't really get that if you have a good defensive shortstop and a very good defensive third baseman in Gunnar Henderson, why you would even mess around with moving him off of one of those two positions right now. I would have much more concern about messing up a pitching prospect than I would a position player prospect. I agree. I just think it's like in a similar kind of fashion where, okay, this is a top five prospect in the system. And yet for some reason you want to switch up positionally, but I agree. I think DL Hall is, is more of a concern. I know we've had conversations in the past about pitching prospects who are starters in the minors. They're called up to the big leagues and they're used as relievers and how that can be disjointed for these pitching prospects who then are sent back down to the minors and often regain the role of a starting pitcher. Zach Lowther, Alexander Wells, and now D.L. Hall is kind of getting that treatment. That, to me, is more concerning than a position player simply learning a new position. And first base is probably the easiest of the positions that Gunnar Henderson can learn, although I do think of the Moneyball quote where Brad Pitt is sitting down with uh, uh, Scott Hatterberg and saying, it's incredibly easy. Tell him, Ron Washington. He goes, it's incredibly hard. So it, I'm, I don't want to diminish how hard it is to learn a new position and first base, and we've seen how 
difficult it can be for young players to get a hold of the position, i.e. Trey Mancini, i.e. Ryan Mountcastle, and how it does take practice and development. I don't think it's the end of the world to make a player as versatile as he can be before you call him up. We saw with Mountcastle how he was used all over the diamond. His was a different case in the minor leagues because he was defensively poor at all those positions. So they were searching for a defensive home for him, whereas, like you said, Gunnar Henderson has his home. It's shortstop, it's third base. He is going to be, by all accounts, an above-average left side of the infield player. But I think that the idea of getting him some reps at first base and especially second base does have a few short-term benefits and a few long-term benefits. And I think the short-term benefits you laid out, it is he is a better, likely to be a better hitter on day one than Tyler Nevin. We don't know because he's 21 and he could go through his growing pains. He is a lefty that you can platoon with Ryan Mountcastle, who is a righty. And that position beyond Mountcastle is really unsolved right now. We've seen Tyler, uh, we've seen Taron Vavra take balls at first base. Taron Vavra is not an, a prototypical first baseman, and frankly, I don't think the Orioles really want to use Taron Vavra at first base, but they will if they have to because they want to get his bat in the lineup. We've seen Anthony Santander, who's been a corner outfielder his entire big league career and occasionally a center fielder at the early part of his career, be used at first base taking grounders. I don't think the Orioles want to do that either. They very clearly, as Brandon Hyde said, want to stay away from using Adley at first base as much as possible, even though he's gotten that experience in the minors. So short-term, I think it makes perfect sense over these next five weeks to give Gunnar Henderson a shot there if that's where you need to get his bat in the lineup. Potentially. And I understand, too, the platoon argument with Ryan Mountcastle, who has been struggling at the plate. And maybe you want to get a left-handed hitter in the lineup at first base if Ryan Mountcastle needs an off day against maybe a right-handed pitcher because Ryan Mountcastle has not been very good since the All-Star break. In terms of a short-term where-to-put-Gunner-Henderson question, I think if you want to keep Jorge Mateo at shortstop, which you should, Jorge Mateo has given you no reason to move him off of that position right now, and defensively, he is fantastic. I understand that Ramon Arias has improved defensively at third base to the point where Brandon Hyde is comfortable putting him at the hot corner, and that's great. But I think Gunnar Henderson could start close to every day at third base with Ramon Arias maybe as his backup when Henderson needs an off day. And then you could just move Ramon Arias back over to his it, what seemed like his more natural home of second base. And then all of a sudden you have a great second base platoon with Ramon Arias and Taron Vavra, with a right-hander and a left-hander there. In terms of first base, again, if Tyler Nevin is the move to get Gunnar Henderson onto this team, that's just speculation based on the fact that Nevin has been struggling a little bit at the plate here in the major leagues. I would much rather put an Anthony Santander at first base. Heck, I'd even put Rugnet Odor as a backup first baseman if you need him to. Rugnet Odor said he was uncomfortable at third going into this year. And again, Rugnet Odor, not a prototypical first baseman. It's not a great solution for a backup first baseman. But I think Anthony Santander, as somebody who is either playing a corner outfield or DHing, just makes more sense as a first baseman than Gunnar Henderson. You'd rather have Rugnet Odor at first base than Gunnar Henderson? No, but <laughs> I would rather have Gunnar Henderson play a 
quality defensive third base, learn that position at the major leagues, then try to bounce him around all over the place for the last few weeks of the season and prioritize developing him at the left side of the infield to start his big league career because that's where he is going to be long-term. If the scouts and all the evaluations that we've seen about Gunnar Henderson are correct, like I said, he'll either be a good defensive shortstop or an excellent defensive third baseman, and I don't think you want to delay that development defensively. I don't think you're delaying it per se, and I think the Orioles wouldn't do this necessarily if they didn't if they thought that it could cause Gunnar Henderson some kind of struggles defensively or could delay that development at third or shortstop. I look at a guy like DJ LeMahieu who plays a great second base, but the Yankees are so loaded that they need him to play first base. Sure, but DJ LeMahieu isn't a shortstop. I mean, DJ LeMahieu can play second base and third base, and I think a move to first base from a very tall second baseman makes a little bit more sense than a shortstop. I, mean, I know Henderson Gunner, is, called, Gun, is tall, too. Yeah, I mean, there was talks about Gunnar Henderson outgrowing the position of shortstop, which, sure. you you know, that is a legitimate concern. We've seen Cal Ripken and other guys break that mold. Carlos Correa be a, a tall shortstop. And to his credit, he has maintained his ability to play shortstop. But that height and that size and athleticism can also lend itself to first base. And I think that this move gives the Orioles more flexibility going forward because Jorge Mateo has clearly established himself as one of the better defensive shortstops in all of baseball. And I think coming into this year, the Orioles had modest expectations for Jorge Mateo and he has exceeded everyone's expectations. Not just what he's done defensively, but his offensive improvements throughout the season, what he brings from a base running standpoint, the energy that he brings All of those things are valuable to the point where you look at 2023 and you say, Jorge Mateo has to be on this team. Absolutely. And if Jorge Mateo is going to be on this team, he has to be playing shortstop. You don't want Jorge Mateo designated as your designated hitter. You don't want him playing in the outfield unless you absolutely have to. You want your best defensive shortstop playing shortstop every single day. So Mateo has to stick it short. And then Gunnar, I think at this point, if you were to look at 2023, you put Mateo at short, you put Gunner probably at third base. But then his ability to play first gives them more flexibility. If they wanted to go out and sign a third baseman, if there's a, a key third baseman that they want to sign this offseason or next offseason, and they say, well, we already have Gunner there, we can't really do that. But they want to have that bat in the lineup the ability to play him at first gives him that kind of versatility. It's what they did with Adley is a catcher. He's a catcher going forward. He hasn't played a single game of first base in the minors or majors this year, but they used him for a handful of games at first base in the minors last year because they wanted to have that option for him going forward. Because if going forward, they sign a great backup catcher and they want to get Adley a game at first base, and there's a platoon situation where it makes sense to insert Adley into the lineup at first base. He plays a quality first base. They have that. They know that he can he can pull that out of his bag. So to me, it's not like they're moving Gunnar Henderson positions. They're just making sure that, okay, this is something that we have in our bag. This is a, an extra position that push comes to shove over the course of a 162-game season. We're really in a bind here where maybe Mountcastle's hurt and Nevin isn't playing well 
and we just don't have a great backup first baseman. We don't want to move Adley from behind the plate because he's such a, so good a catcher. Gunner, can you play first? They know that he's done it before. It's not like you're throwing him a first baseman's mitt for the first time. So I don't think it's the end of the world because I think all you're doing is you're making him more versatile, and he will continue to hit. I expect him, like Mountcastle did, when Mountcastle was moved all around the diamond, shortstop to third base to first base to left field back to first base, he continued to hit. And I think it, it is a risk. Not everybody does that, but I can't see it getting to Gunner. Everything that he has gone through to get to this point, I can't see it getting in his head now where he's thinking, gosh, i got to really worry about how my defense is at first base. I think he's just going to mash the ball regardless, and this is just an extra tool for him. He could, and I understand that long-term, having the first base versatility could be valuable for a third baseman in Gunnar Henderson, but you're already moving Gunnar Henderson off of shortstop, which is his natural position to play third base. I understand that he is kind of split time there in the minor leagues. You could argue that he is pretty comfortable at both of those spots, which I think he is. And you could say that maybe either of them is his natural position. Fine. If he is a very good defensive third baseman, I think playing him at first should be more or less a last resort because you need to keep him in the lineup because you just don't want to move a very good defensive third baseman off of for, off of third base, the value that you get defensively from the hot corner does not equate to the value of a good defensive first baseman. It's still great to have a good defensive first baseman, but you would much rather keep Gunnar Henderson at third base if the defense is so valuable there. You want to keep him there as often as possible. I, I you don't it, want to drive a Ferrari around the city. Like I, you want it on an open road. I think it is a last resort. And I think that he's not going to, it's not like they're using him for the bulk sure. of games. I think this is just to make sure that our last result, resort can go more smoothly than if it was, you know, if he had never played a game at first base. Sure. The last thing I'll say before we move on to Jorge Mateo, because I do want to talk about yeah, Mateo. Yeah, yeah. You really, not that Gunnar Henderson isn't going to be able to handle a call to the big leagues. I think he will. But this is a kid who is freshly 21. And do you really want to add on, hey, go figure out Major League Pitching and also go figure out a different position. He's not going to be comfortable at first base if he has to play it in the big leagues. If he's gotten two starts there in AAA Norfolk, he is not going to be comfortable there. Plain and simple. Then I think if the Orioles know that he's not comfortable there, I don't imagine that they would... Like I said, I don't imagine that they would use him there unless it was a last resort. I'm we not going to be comfortable there was a strong... I would be very surprised if right. two starts at AAA Norfolk yeah. got him that level of comfortability where he could suit up at the big league level, throw on a first baseman's glove, and combine that with having to figure out big league pitching for the first time. I, I just think it's a lot to throw at the kid. I think it is, and I think that's why they probably won't do it. Like, I think that if he's going to get called up, I think that he's going to be playing the vast majority of his games at third base and maybe occasionally designated hitter. I really can't see them using, I think it's a nuclear option, using sure. him at first base. Because I think, and similar to Taron Vavra. I mean, we saw Taron Vavra slowly got his way worked into the big leagues, and they've really only used him sparingly in the field. He hasn't started every game in the lineup. 
So I think that they'll take a similarly cautious approach with Gunnar Henderson to the point where I don't think they'll use him at first base unless they absolutely have to. But it's good. I, I think the really only scenario in which they use him at first base this year is if Mountcastle goes down with injury, sure. which obviously we don't, we hope doesn't happen. But I think that's the only way that they use him. I think that they will continue to give him his development at third base. I mean, look, again, to bring up Adley. Adley hasn't been used at all at first base in the big leagues, but he played a pretty sizable chunk of games at first base last year. So I think the Orioles have a track record of introducing these players to these positions in the minors so that they have these options once they get there, but they may never use those options. And I think we're probably spending more time on the podcast talking about whether Gunnar Henderson could play first base or second base at the big league level, probably for a longer amount of time than Brandon Hyde will think about yes. wanting to play Gunnar Henderson at first or second base. Yes. I think we're in agreement that that is kind of a last resort, worst case scenario, I doubt that Gunnar Henderson will be playing for first or second base over the next few weeks of the season if he gets the call. And it's kind of funny that we are exclusively talking about him playing third base because I think a month or two ago, before the All-Star break, we're talking about Gunnar Henderson coming up and being your everyday shortstop. Yeah. But Jorge Mateo has just been that good to the point where we're not even talking about Gunner as a shortstop. Yeah. He's a third baseman if he comes up. If he comes up right now. I mean, right. absolutely. For as good as he has proven to be a shortstop, there's just no way that he's better than Jorge Mateo. No. At least immediately. Maybe in a few years when he's a gold glover at shortstop, we'll say... Boy, Gunnar Henderson is a premier shortstop. But Jorge Mateo might be a gold glover at shortstop. Yeah, there's just no way right now he's better than Jorge Mateo no. is at shortstop because that's how good Jorge Mateo has been amongst the top three or five defensive shortstops in baseball this year. And if he, we said it at the beginning of the year, if he can just hit a little bit, if he can give you a 250 average and walk a little bit more than he has in his short big league career, he could be a really valuable player. A super utility player is the term that we kept using for Jorge Mateo. Right now, he's an everyday player. Yeah. He's one of the leaders in war. Most of that is defense. But the occasional pop that he gives you on offense and the speed and base running that he gives you make him such a valuable player. And I think that in a similar way to Cedric Mullins, if he gives you really anything offensively, he's a valuable player. Well, he has given you... I think just about or perhaps a little bit more than we expected from him offensively this year. Yeah, it's certainly more than I expected. I mean, like you said, I will gladly hold the L on the podcast here because throughout, thank I'm you, giving it to um, you. throughout multiple podcasts, I have said when looking at the future of the Baltimore Orioles, exactly what you use. If Jorge Mateo turns into a utility player, where you can have him off the bench as a great defensive replacement at second base or shortstop, man, that would be a win for the Orioles. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he is an everyday player who needs to be your starting shortstop in 2023. I understand that you can probably upgrade from Jorge Mateo. Carlos Correa. Like a Carlos <laughs> Correa. But I think the priority list, shortstop, if it was towards the top maybe a month or two ago, Shortstop has gone way down the priority list because of how well Jorge Mateo has played. He's hitting 300 
since the All-Star break, and he has turned himself into kind of a league average hitter. The OPS is hovering around 700. The batting average is improving. I think it's improved by about 20 points since the beginning of August. And I always think about a player I've talked about a lot on this podcast is Andrelton Simmons. When Andrelton Simmons was at his peak, I'm not saying that Mateo is a similar defender to Simmons because that's a, a platinum glove yeah. type of defender. Mateo's not quite there yet. He's very good. But when Simmons was at his peak, we're talking top 10 MVP, top 15 MVP, he had an OPS right around 750. Yep. Because that's all he needed to do with how good the glove is. And for Jorge Mateo, the OPS can be right around 700, 750. But if he is giving you a gold glove caliber shortstop and leading the American League in steals, yeah. that's an everyday player. It's not just above average speed. It's game tilting speed yeah. that he brings, and it is noticeable. He hits a ball into the gap, and you go, oh, triple. Yep, it is noticeable. I mean, other teams have to account for that kind of speed. I think of the game in Toronto. I think it was the first game of that series where an absolute rocket was hit to Bo Bichette at shortstop. Infield is playing in. Mateo's at third. The ball was hit 94 miles off uh, at miles per hour off the bat. Bichette backhands it and throws home in like one motion, and Mateo scored. Didn't matter. He was off on contact, and he was in by a mile. That kind of speed makes things so much easier for this offense to gel, and it makes things so much easier for Brandon Hyde to create a lineup around somebody like that. So the way that he has played this year, he undeservedly is your shortstop the rest of the way, or undeservedly, he unquestionably, yes. excuse me, is deservedly is your shortstop the rest of the season. And you have to write him in, unless you sign a Carlos Correa, which is probably unlikely because of the play of Jorge Mateo. You have to write him in as your opening day shortstop for 2023. I think you can look at three reasons that the Orioles have turned around this season. Austin Hayes was asked yesterday what he thinks is different about this team. He was asked while he was mic'd up in the outfield, and he gave three reasons. He said the pitching, the defense, and the athleticism. Jorge Mateo is obviously not a pitcher, but look at the other two categories, defense and athleticism. You can make a case that Jorge Mateo is the best defender on the team and the most athletic player on the team. Yeah. So for two of the three reasons that pitch? were pointed out, maybe, for two of the three reasons that were pointed out as kind of the reasons that the Orioles have been turning around this year, you could make a case that Jorge Mateo is leading the charge in two of those three categories. It's funny, too, because pitching, defense, and hitting are the three real aspects of the game That's of baseball, baseball. Yeah. but they have not been hitting as well as a team as last year. The guys that we thought would take leaps forward this year offensively simply haven't and they haven't been hitting the ball as well partly the left field wall partly baseball all around is experiencing a dip offensively but they've made up for it with the kind of athleticism that they get in Jorge Mateo so I think that the question about the left side of the infield becomes a little bit more complex in a good way because you have Jorge Mateo there whereas at this point we were expecting to be saying Gunnar Henderson's going to be your everyday shortstop going forward. And if it's not Gunnar Henderson, it's Jordan Westberg. Jordan Westberg, by the way, has been hitting the ball a little bit better at AAA. Good to see. But right now you're saying Gunnar Henderson's probably going to get the call up over the final five weeks of the season, and he's not even going to be your shortstop. And yeah. 
like I said earlier, Mateo, if he's going to be in the lineup, he has to be your shortstop because of what he brings there defensively. So maybe this could be a situation that we saw with J.J. Hardy and Manny Machado, where Machado was a shortstop, and he was a great shortstop in the minors. But he moved to third base because J.J. Hardy was manning down shortstop in Baltimore and was doing a pretty darn good job of it. Another guy that Hardy was a little bit older but had not nearly as high expectations for him and was not a prized acquisition when they made it, but made himself very valuable to a very good Orioles team. And Machado, who was just 19 at the years at 19 years old at the time, deferred to Hardy. And those two made an excellent left side of your infield. Right. And look, I think you can still potentially upgrade from Jorge Mateo in the offseason if Mike Elias believes that the shortstop position is just too valuable to not have a superstar there. I mean, Jorge Mateo is a very good player, but given what we've seen from the bat, I don't think he has that kind of superstar potential that maybe some people thought he had when he was the number one prospect in the Yankees system. The stat cast numbers are still not very favorable for Jorge Mateo. The advanced metrics obviously don't mean everything, but he is in pretty bad percentiles for hard hit percentage, barrel percentage, whiff rate, strikeout rate, walk rate. Those advanced numbers are still not great, and it's not everything because you can't purely look at those advanced numbers when evaluating a hitter. Jorge Mateo has probably improved some of those advanced numbers. Well, not probably. He has improved some of those advanced numbers over the last month or so here. So you can still upgrade there. I just think the point is that it is so far down the priority list that you it gives Mike Elias the flexibility in the offseason to say, okay, we don't need our Carlos Correa. Yeah. It would certainly would be nice to have, but... <laughs> If you are focusing on where to spend your money, Elias has said that a lot of it will go to the Orioles' own guys in yep. arbitration, but then maybe you can focus that money on starting pitching, yeah. where the Orioles could use some starting pitching help in the offseason rather than needing to get some of these positional players. I said it a month ago, and we'll have much more free agent coverage over the next couple months, but everything has been trending towards the Orioles buying arms yes. this winter, not bats. Because they move the left field wall back. They make that a little bit more enticing. They already have the bats in their system and on the big league roster. Everything is trending towards them signing an impact pitcher this offseason. Real quick, Brendan, I'll give you a chance to revise predictions. When do you think Gunnar Henderson gets called up? And where do you think he plays his games? What would you say the positional split is for him at the big league level? This could come back and look really bad. Almost immediately. <laughs> I think Gunnar Henderson gets called up tomorrow. We Tomorrow? Tomorrow. <laughs> We've had predictions that have looked terrible and blown yeah, up in our this faces. this isn't going to be new. Yeah. I think Gunnar Henderson gets called up tomorrow. Because uh, this is one of the traps that I fall into on the podcast all the time. It's that if things don't quite make sense in my head, I have trouble rationalizing them and, and putting my sh myself in the shoes of a Michael Elias. I'm just going off of what makes sense in my head. And what makes sense in my head is that Gunnar Henderson has shown more than enough, more than you need him to at AAA Norfolk. He is hitting left-handers better. I understand the strikeouts are a little bit of a concern, 
But we're nitpicking at this point with Gunnar Henderson to find reasons that he is still at AAA Norfolk. The Orioles are hanging around. They have a series at home against a White Sox team that they have a few game advantage over in the AL wildcard standings. They need to hold this team off, a talented White Sox team that has overperformed. If you can hold them off, maybe that's the stake in the heart for the Chicago White Sox this season when it comes to the AL wildcard race, if you can put some distance there. So maybe Gunnar Henderson gets called up for this home series tomorrow against a White Sox team that you are competing with in the wildcard standings. And I think he plays third base because you cannot move Jorge Mateo. I love Ramon Arias. He's been playing well. Put him at second base. If you want to keep arguing about Rukden Odor and Taron Vavra, just get rid of the argument and put Ramon Arias there because Arias has had a better season than both of those guys. And you want to keep his bat in the lineup as well. And he's probably more comfortable at second base than he is at third base. So it solved two problems. Well, and then you would probably have a lefty-righty split in Vavra and Arias, which sounds great, would make Odor the, the odd man out there. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Getting comments as well as we're live on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, Noah saying he thinks next week at second base. Also getting some questions as to when rosters expand. September 1st is the answer to that question. They go from 26 to 28. That could be a key date if you, you want to bring him you up. You would have to think that if rosters expand to 28, Gunnar Henderson has to be there. You would think? He has to be. <laughs> you would think. But the question is, do they wait that long, I think? There's also the weird question. I've been trying to figure it out in terms of the service time for the rest of the year. I believe that it's like 45 days for to keep your rookie eligibility for next season. I'm confused by it. I'm explaining it in a confusing way. I think if you spend fewer than 45 days on the Major League roster, then you keep your rookie eligibility for the next season. Don't quote me on that because yeah. I might be wrong, but I think think that's the case and if he gets called up tomorrow then there are 43 days remaining in the major league season so he would keep rookie eligibility for next year and I think the Orioles would still be eligible for that first round draft pick if he comes in the top two in rookie there tomorrow being August 23rd Tuesday yes. August 23rd if you're listening to this after the fact also some good comments as well people bringing up the fact that a 40-man roster spot is open so if you select Gunnar Henderson's contract you don't need to remove somebody from the 40-man, which is good. you would need to move somebody from the 26. Correct. So, Tyler Nevin could be optioned. You could designate Rudnett Odor for assignment. You don't need to, from a 40-man roster standpoint, or from a 26-man roster standpoint, that would help you. My guess is that it would be Tyler Nevin, because I don't know if they want to DFA Rudnett Odor with Tyler Nevin. You can just option him back to AAA Norfolk. Nevin has not been hitting very well in the majors so far, and he also hasn't been getting everyday reps because he hasn't been hitting very well. So you could move him back to AAA Norfolk but then and who's hopefully your... get him some more everyday reps and maybe start him at third base where Gunnar Henderson has now left a vacancy. But then who is your backup first baseman? I think you Favre? At Santander? But how often do you really Gunner? need that backup first baseman? You never know. You saw it with Trey Mancini and Ryan Mountcastle solely because they were just yeah. flipping between first base and DH. But do you really need a backup first baseman that badly? How many games is a first baseman going to play over the remaining 40 or so games of the year? So, Two? 
another point being brought up is that somebody has to be on the forty on the twenty six man roster before September first in order to be eligible for the playoffs. Now, yes. the Orioles also don't have you know a, an outstanding shot of making the playoffs, but they have to consider it because if they're going to go for it over these final five weeks, then they have to at least consider who's going to be available for them in the playoffs. And that has come back to bite some teams. I remember yes. the Red Sox, was it a year ago, where Jose Iglesias was yeah. added to the roster after September 1st, absolutely mashed yep. in September, was hitting like 400, and then couldn't play in the playoffs because he wasn't added to the roster September 1st. Yeah, so we'll see what the Orioles do there. And I guess you can make an injury replacement would be my thinking, but... I don't know exactly how that works. We haven't had to cover a playoff team in a little while for the Orioles. So I wouldn't know exactly how that works if somebody goes down on the 40-man and you have to place them on the 60-day or whatever it is, and you have to replace them if you can make an exception. I don't know exactly how that works. We're thinking way far ahead here. Or you could just not worry about it and call them up. You could do that. We'll see if your prediction is correct as for tomorrow. What is your prediction, Paul? Oh, I'm glad you've asked. Uh, I think that it'll probably be next homestand. I don't think it'll be tomorrow, but I think there's an outside shot. I was correct on Kyle Stowers getting the call up Friday. I think I erred on the side of sooner rather than later there. I'm going to err on the side of later later rather than sooner here. I'm going to say next homestand, but I could very well see tomorrow. Nobody really knows what's going on inside Michael Elias's head as much as we try. My desire to see Gunnar Henderson is just clouding my judgment. That's fair. Uh, we have talked about Gunnar Henderson for so many podcasts now that I'm just going, at this point, I want to change up the podcast. Yeah. I want to talk about it's something all happening. other than, hey, where is Gunnar Henderson? I would just love to talk about it. We Yeah, we're going to have more coverage throughout the week. We're going to have the great Kevin Brown on Ooh. this podcast live on Wednesday. On this very couch. On this very couch, that couch, the one that you're sitting on, wow. most likely. And I want to get comments from people. I want to get questions because the man is, if anything, intriguing. Yes. Interesting. I don't think we have really even a plan for the podcast. I think we're hoping to get a lot of questions and comments from viewers. Yeah. And we're just going to generally have a goof. Have a goof. Have a goof. All right. Whomst. Whomst will be having for this goof. will the goof be? Exactly. That's full circle. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to the Mass and All Access podcast. At Brandon Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks to Amy Jennings for producing this podcast. We will be back at some point Wednesday, perhaps before that, if we get a Gunnar Henderson call up. We shall see. But stay tuned to MassInSports.com, the Masson app, and all of your podcast platforms to listen to the Mass and All Access podcast. Give us five stars. That'd be great. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will catch you next time.